Lane, The Black Widow, Part 1. Thank you, Ben. Yes, today we will be talking about Black Widow uh, and her fairly long comic book history. Uh, in the comics, she's over, uh, you know, 50 years old at this point. Um, looks great for being over 50. Characters, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, she's 90-something in the comics by age. Oh, yeah, right. Infinity yeah. formula, yeah. We'll, we'll get into all that. Right. Yep. Yeah, over 90. Um, but it's been 50 years that she's been active in the comics. So, yeah. Um, the, uh, we're recording this prior to seeing the black widow movie. Um, and, uh, so we might not have every character who ends up showing up in that movie since we haven't seen it. Um, we are going to record, this will be a two, uh, three episode series, uh, the first two, we're going to talk about the characters who we already know who is in it and all their comic book backstories, a lot like how we did in our Falcon Winter Soldier uh, series. Um, and then we will, after seeing the movie, uh, we're going to um, talk about, you know, thoughts on the movie and, you know, stuff they did in there and any characters, plot lines or things that came up that were references to uh, the comics. Anything um, that we don't know is in there already. Yeah, uh, because there will almost certainly be something, because I think even more than a lot of other Marvel movies, uh, we know less about what's going on in this one uh, than, you know, than usual. Right. Um, I'm not even totally sure where it takes place in the timeline. Um, so why don't we start off with Black Widow? So where does Black Widow get her uh, origins? Black Widow appears for the first time in the Iron Man story of Tales of Suspense number 52, which is April of 1964, is the uh, cover date. Um, and it's a story that is plotted, but not written by Stan Lee. So Stan basically you know, came up with the two-line description of this is what happens in this comic. This is, you know, go write me a story in which this happens, basically. And it was actually scripted by a guy named Don Rico, uh, who was at the time working under the pen name N. Korok, N. Period Korok, and drawn by Don Heck. Now, Don so Rico. Oh, yeah, okay. Sorry. I was going to say we haven't talked about Don Rico before, so can we give, get the exactly? Know? Yeah. Well, he's a he is a kind of a you know he's a, he's a relatively minor character in by the time it happens with Marvel. He's as a you know as a creator, um, but he had been one of the regular writer-slash-artists who'd been involved with Marvel since back in the Timely days. Um, so he had, you know, uh, basically in kind of like the, the late war and post-war Timely comics, he had been one of the writer-artists who'd been working in the studio when Stan Lee was, was a kid, if you remember from our Marvel history um and he had done a bunch of kind of like second tier characters he wrote and drew the wizard uh he wrote and drew the angel he wrote and drew a bunch of other uh characters and he didn't just work for timely he worked for a bunch of different companies he worked for uh fox he worked for uh, he, he was actually one of the very earliest writer artists to do the golden age daredevil before charles bureau uh, who's the guy who kind of made it famous. Rico was actually the guy immediately before Biro on Daredevil. Um, by, he works for uh, 
Timely and then Atlas up into the 50s. And by the 50s, he has kind of moved out of doing comic books. And he's kind of moved out of doing art. Uh, and is pretty much making his living just writing um, under a bunch of different pseudonyms. He's writing uh, paperbacks. He's writing, you know, like pulp action adventure stories. And, um, you know, detective uh, novels and that kind of thing. Um, and he's working under several different uh, pseudonyms, and the uh, publisher who was handling most of his stuff did not want him using uh, his own name for uh, comics again. Right, so he kind of he, he when he took uh, the odd comic book job uh, after he kind of like got out of comics full time, he did most of his comic book work under various other pseudonyms so that it didn't honk off his, uh, his regular publisher. Uh, so he did a grand total of three scripts for Marvel in those early 60s, right? In the, the, the years that they were doing. They were just fill-in things. Somebody else was not available. He was a friend of Stan's. He was a friend of Warner Roth's. He was a friend of, like, you know, a bunch of the guys who were working in the, in, in the Marvel bullpen, quote-unquote, uh, at the time. So Stan basically asked him to do a, do a favor, Right, and so he came in and he wrote two issues of Iron Man, and an issue I think of Doctor Strange. Right in this stretch, and so Stan gave him and Don Heck the the you know the plot of, all right, Iron Man. We're about a year into Iron Man's run at this point, um, and Iron Man has just battled the evil communist supervillain Crimson Dynamo. Uh, Crimson Dynamo is like you know the evil commie version of Iron Man, right? Like he's got a he's got a big power suit like Iron Man does, and the Soviets send Crimson Dynamo to America to both sabotage Stark Industries just out of villainy, and also to beat up Iron Man to prove that communist super science is better than American super science, right? And so Iron Man fights Crimson Dynamo and not only defeats him. But at the end of the story, Crimson Dynamo is afraid that because he's lost so publicly that the Soviets are going to kill him now, right? Mm -hmm. And Tony says, holy crap, you know, that's, you're right, that's terrible. Stay here, defect, and I'll give you a job at Stark Industries. <laughs> and so the first Crimson Dynamo does like a face turn, right? Like he's not the bad guy anymore. He gives up, he retires from being Crimson Dynamo and just takes a job working at Stark Industries as a scientist. Right? Okay. And that's so cool. it's like, oh, wow, this is kind of a twist ending. All right, that's really interesting. So a few issues later, Stan sends the plot down of like, well, this, the Soviets are probably pretty honked off that he defected, right? Have, him send, have them send some agents to go try to kill him. And that will be the plot. That will be the next story. In fact, we'll have a whole other guy who can put on the Crimson Dynamo uh, suit and try to kill both Tony Stark and this guy Anton Vanko, right? Who, which is mm -hmm. you'll recognize the name from uh, Iron Man Two. Uh, and so, okay, cool. That's our plot. So Don Rico sits down to to uh, to write this, and Don Heck is the one drawing Iron Man at this point. Don Heck is a very competent artist. Superheroes aren't really his best thing, but it's what's selling right now. Don Heck has kind of the unfortunate situation of being like the number three guy at a company where the number two guys are both numbers one and two are both Hall of Famers. 
<laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, it's Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko are too busy to work on this comic. Don's the next guy. <laughs> and so Don was always kind of like being unfairly compared, I think, uh, by fans at the time. It's like, oh, he's the Marvel guy who's not that good. <laughs> as an artist, right? And if you look at his stuff completely out of context, he's fine. He's a perfectly, you know, competent artist. He will run, he will have runs on the Avengers, on Iron Man. He's, you know, he's a perfectly good artist, but compared to what was actually happening at Marvel at the time in the exciting series, Iron Man was kind of this, you know, second or third level character at the time, right? right? He was just not getting the best uh, the, the the best people. So anyway, Don and uh, Don and Don sit down and they do this story, uh, and they're like, "Okay, we have to create these uh, the, these these agents to come and uh, you know try to uh, assassinate Anton." Okay, so we'll have one big guy who will be, uh, you know, like the 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 brawler, the fighter, and he will steal the armor of the Crimson Dynamo and put it on and try to kill them. And then we're also going to have like a femme fatale agent uh who will come in and you know be like the spy and if necessary she'll seduce somebody to get away right she'll be exactly that kind of you know uh noirish femme fatale bad guy all right what should we name these two don says uh well he has he is a fan of uh the rocky and bullwinkle show the rocky and bullwinkle show has been on tv since 1959 at this point so it's five years into what will be a seven-year run of a show it's quite popular with the kids and it features as its main bad guys uh who are you know from the from the evil villainous country of potsylvania boris badenoff and his uh you know female partner natasha fatal <laughs> and so they are you know like the comedy bad guys who are always fighting rocky and bullwinkle so Don Rico decides it's a great idea. I'm just going to call these two Boris and Natasha. <laughs> I'm not okay. going to give them last names, right? I'm not even just going to, they will just be Boris and Natasha and they will be the two bad guys who come to the story. I've spent 15 seconds thinking about that and now I'm done, <laughs> right? I have more important things to do. That's just their names. So, so if you're wondering where Natasha actually got her name, she is literally named after Natasha Fatal from Rocky and Bullwinkle. This is a 100% true story. One of the most popular superheroes is a uh, is basically a Family Guy reference. To not- yeah, it's a one-off joke, right? It's it's just yeah. a they they thought this was you know we're we're not thinking that hard, right? Iron Man is about our eighth best-selling title at this time. We're not right. gonna you know. So anyway, we do the story, right? Boris shows up. Uh, he, you know, is uh, the, uh, Tony Stark and Anton Vanko are working on their new cool, fancy, high-tech device. It's called a laser. Literally, Stan spends two panels. Uh, Stan and Don spend two panels in this book explaining to us what a laser is, <laughs> uh, because literally, remember when you were, you know, for context, the first commercial laser went on sale in 1960. Okay. So it's only 1964. Most people don't know what a laser is yet, right? So Stan has to actually explain it. Reading it now, it's kind of hilarious, right? To like Iron Man comics. Did, did Tony not have lasers by this point? Did he not no, have, like, no. blasters? Oh, he, just, he had blasters. He had the repulsor rays, you know, okay. for it. But he did not, in fact, have, like, you know, a light-based thing, right? 
Okay. That was just not built into his, you know, because once again, this was not a concept that most people knew. Stan had just read about lasers somewhere and thought they sounded cool and we should put them in Iron Man. Okay. Right. And what's great is uh, literally in, in this issue, in number 52, Tony and Anton are working on the laser this super high-tech device, right? In the very next issue, they're working on an anti-gravity device. <laughs> and as far as, like, Stan is concerned, those are both the same thing, right? Lasers and anti-gravity, they're both just high-tech, whatever. I don't need to, you know... <laughs> right? Like, there, there's no concept of, like, what's real and what isn't in Iron Man. They are both treated exactly the same, right? And so Iron Man's suit is, like, you know, run from transistors, because transistors were also new and cool and, like, you know, a brand new concept of, you know, of, of, of science and technology in the early 60s, right? So it's like, oh, transistors, you can do anything with transistors. They're magical, you know, kind of thing. And, and in Iron Man comics, they effectively are, right? So, so anyway, Stan, uh, so Tony and Anton are working on their laser, and they are then attacked by Boris wearing the armor and Natasha, who is just kind of like in the background mostly for most of this. She's like the sneaky one, right? She breaks into things and she does a lot of kind of stealthing around in the background while Boris does the bulk of the fighting. Uh, Tony manages to slip away and turn into Iron Man to come back and fight Boris as Crimson Dynamo with the assistance of Anton, who like manages to get, he gets injured, but he still manages to get like the laser into the fight and use it to help Tony beat the new Crimson Dynamo and effectively with his laser, you know, like destroys the entire factory that they're fighting in and only Tony survives. Both Anton and Boris are dead. Uh, but Natasha has slipped away in all of this because she's far too sneaky to get caught with anything like this. And she wasn't really actually kind of like involved in the fight very much, right? So she gets away at the end. Tony is alive. His friend Anton is dead. He's very sad. And that's where we end the story, right? The, the, it's only, you know, 12 pages long. Uh, and so, as far as we knew, we, we had no particular plans for it, except that Don and Stan basically were like, this is actually a really useful character. Mm -hmm. Natasha is, right? A, a Russian spy who's, like, beautiful and kind of sexy. Her outfit has, you know, fishnet stockings, and she's got, you know, like, a very kind of, like, fashionable Jackie, Jackie Kennedy bob to her hair. We don't have a femme fatale character in the Marvel Universe, really, at this point. None of the other heroes have kind of, like, gotten one recently. Thor's kind of got Enchantress, right? She's kind of a femme fatale, but she's also, like, on his power level, right? Fantastic Four don't have a female bad guy. Spider-Man doesn't have a female bad guy. None of the other characters, at this point, uh, have, like, a cool, seductive female bad guy character. And so Stan's like, you know what? Keep her alive, and let's get her messing with Tony Stark in his secret identity. And so literally the very next issue, number 53, she comes back, uh, you know, like in disguise, basically. We know that she is the mysterious Natasha who doesn't have a last name. In fact, she's literally referred to at this point now as Madame Natasha, the Black Widow, right? Um, and she basically... Uh, Sets up a, you know, she comes in like she's a, you know, foreign supermodel or something and tries to set up a date with Tony so that she can, uh, uh, you know, like learn all of his secrets and kill him or something, right? Um, except that she doesn't know that Tony and Iron Man are the same guy. So because 
Iron Man saw her in the fight, for this, he recognizes her, but as Tony decides to go along with this to see what her plan is, and does in fact actually take her out on a date. Uh, this turns into, uh, you know, even though Tony is kind of like ahead of the game at this point, she still manages to punk him, uh, you know, over the course of this. She tricks him and steals his anti-gravity device and then uses it to fight off Iron Man. Uh, and a fight ensues in which Iron Man barely survives and Natasha gets away again. And so now she's joined the Iron Man, uh, you know, rogues gallery, right? She's going to appear every so often now for the next couple of years as a recurring spy bad guy. Um, in September of 1964, she comes back again, and this time she has met another one of Iron Man's bad guys, uh, who is Hawkeye. Hawkeye has been established at this point as the, you know he's the uh, he 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 works at a circus because you know every circus has a trick archer sure that's a thing that we've seen before uh, but somehow he he's working at a carnival as a you know as a as a as a trick archer and Iron Man shows up at the carnival for a completely unrelated thing um, and the crowd at the carnival thinks Iron Man is way more interesting than any of the dumb stuff that's actually going on in this carnival. And so, like, the entire crowd, like, leaves to go see what Iron Man is doing. And Hawkeye is personally upset, right? He's like a f He's, you know, he's all the attention that Iron Man got. Uh, that's not much of motivation. So now Hawkeye has fallen in love with uh, Madame Natasha and is fighting Iron Man on her behalf. Uh, uh, they meet over this run of 64 and 65. Uh, in which, you know, basically they, need, uh, they never get to, to complete any of their plans, but also they never get captured, right? They're always sneaking away at the end. So in this last story, now we're up to issue number 60, and it's, uh, it, it's the beginning of 1965, and Natasha, Madame Natasha, sends Hawkeye to go kill Iron Man again, and a bunch of KGB agents show up in the st same story and grab her instead of going after Iron Man because the KGB is mad at her for failing to kill Iron Man over and over again, right? She's, she's now considered like a failed agent. Um, and this is kind of like the beginning of her and Clint getting their face turn, right? Because Clint breaks off his fight with Iron Man because he's worried about her. And so you can see like his motivation. He's not that bad a guy. And this is the kind of character that Stan likes doing at this point he's just done it with quicksilver and scarlet witch right like of reforming the, the the villains into being heroes and hawkeye is clearly not a bad guy because he's just doing this out of love for this beautiful woman and natasha's not really that bad a guy yeah she's a communist but you know she's doing all of these things because she's a russian patriot you can see where there's potentially something to turn her you know into a good guy uh uh there um and so in 64, uh, which is now, you know, we're in the spring of 65, uh, she and Clint return. Uh, the, the, she has a, a couple of uh, lines, a couple of panels, where she is explaining to Clint that the KGB has threatened her family back in Russia if she doesn't kill Iron Man, right? She doesn't even really want to kill Iron Man anymore now. She's like, you know, she's being forced into this by those evil commies back in Russia. Uh, so they're like forced to go fight Iron Man one more time. This time she gets hurt. She's injured. And Clint has to escape with her, you know, like in his arms, basically. He has to, you know, abandon fighting Iron Man one last time and, you know, slip out the back way, carrying uh, Natasha away. 
So that's where the character was left. They stopped kind of like appearing as recurring Iron Man villains after kind of like showing up several times, I think five or six times in a year. Uh, and instead, the next time we see Hawkeye is in Avengers number 16, where he joins the Avengers, you know, uh, comes to the Avengers and says, you know, like, I want to be a member, right? And becomes part of Captain America's kooky quartet. That's, that set of stories begins. And there's no reference in that issue to where Natasha has gone, right? Like, Hawkeye's apparently on his own now, right? Um, and so he becomes, uh, you know, part of the Avengers as a hero. And it's a few issues in to that run of Avengers that, like, the writers are like, holy crap, what happened to Natasha, right? We should probably put her in this story, too. And so she shows up again as this kind of, like, recurring sort of villain that Clint is in love with. And that he can't really, you know, kind of, maybe he's, the other heroes want to capture her, maybe the other heroes want to fight her, and he doesn't even really want to fight her because he's still in love with her. She gets captured by the Russians again. This will become a recurring theme in her character. And this time they brainwash her and make her more evil than she was. And she uh, hires Power Man and Swordsman uh, to kill the Avengers. This, of course, fails. Uh, and then she breaks her brainwashing uh, at the end of that story, basically, and turns back into a good guy and falls, you know, tearfully into Clint's arms, and that's wonderful. Uh, and she helps the Avengers beat the Sons of the Serpent in the next kind of, like, storyline. At the end of the Sons of the Serpent story, she has just helped the Avengers with her various skills and gadgets and, you know, like, spying and sneaking around. And they offer her membership in the team. However, we then discover, because of course nothing can ever go right for Clint, uh, you know, romantically, that Nick Fury has in fact instead has to recruit her to go on a secret, top secret shield mission. Uh, you know, and so she has to turn down uh, the offer of membership and say, oh, and by the way, Clint, I can never see you again. Too bad. Sorry. I love you. Bye. You know, one of those kind of like weird mystery twist endings of like, why did Natasha turn us down? We don't know. Well, it turns out she has been sent on a top secret mission for S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, and so she, in the, you know, backstory, we, we don't learn this for about a year, but eventually we discover that she goes to China uh, on a top secret mission for S.H.I.E.L.D., for Nick Fury personally, to c pretend to still be a Russian agent, to still be brainwashed, and to find out all about uh, this uh, super mind control device. Uh, and so the uh, Avengers head to China when they discover that this has happened, that she's been captured again and brainwashed again. So the Avengers head uh, out and fight her. Uh, find her, they free her, and they fight the Red Guardian for the first time. Uh, the Red Guardian is revealed to be her husband, uh, but that she thought was dead, right? Like, they, she was married to the Red Guardian uh, in the past, but then when he got sent off to go be the Red Guardian to basically become the Russian Captain America, uh, they faked his death in his secret identity, and told Natasha he was dead. So she genuinely believed that she was single again. Uh, but it turns out her husband is, in fact, actually alive. Mm. A big fight scene happens. Red Guardian apparently dies again. So she is once again now kind of like single. Woo! 
right? Hooray! Now she can get back together with Clint, except she never really kind of does, right? She gets hurt in this story again. Now we're up to, I mean, like two years have gone by in the Avengers at this point, right? They're like covering all of these stories. And since she's been injured, she kind of, quote-unquote, retires, right? She will become a recurring background character. She will continue to show up briefly in a few stories as, you know, uh, uh, Clint's mysterious girlfriend that he's in love with, but for one reason or another, they can never seem to quite get together. Um, she will eventually unretire and put a costume back on and go do some stuff. And then finally, in Avengers number 76, we're up to 1970 now, so we're, you know, six years into her career, uh, she and Clint break up in the set of stories where Clint has given up being Hawkeye and has become Goliath, right? He's taking the, using the Pym particles to become giant-sized and has just like, given up the bow and arrow identity entirely. And as part of all of this, he basically ends the on-again, off-again relationship with Natasha, mm-hmm. right? This is my new beginning. <laughs> I'm a brand new guy. I'm not going to keep hanging out with this mysterious Russian lady anymore. So she now... Uh, then appears the next time we see her, she is in Spider-Man number 86. And this is the first time we see her in the costume that we all know. This is the first time she puts on the tight, you know, blue-black leather, skin-tight outfit with the chain belt and her hair, long hair, you know, like down and her like wrist blasters and all of that stuff. Up until this point, she has been in the, you know, the fishnet stocking version of the outfit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and instead, now she is, uh, you know, she's, she's got an outfit that is much more based on, like, the Golden Age Miss Fury, right? Or the Black Cat or somebody like that. Um, and it's, you know, it's a good look, right? Like, it's a good-looking shit. This, this is a sexy character for, you know, like, the, for the 1970s, right? She's a completely different character. She has one issue in which she, you know, gets into a mistaken fight with Spider-Man. She thinks Spider-Man's the bad guy. Um, and so she, you know, winds up trying to fight him and, uh, he beats her. Um, but she, you know, at the end realizes, oh, Spider-Man's not a bad guy. Sorry, my bad. And wanders off. She then gets an eight issue solo run in Amazing Adventures in which she is the backup series to the Inhumans as the lead title. So she's doing... It is a weird combination. It is. They were like, you know, they were they were trying to expand the number of titles they were putting out. They had just been kind of like released from their distributor uh, holdup, right? That was that that had limited the number of titles they could put out per month. And so one of the things they were doing was Amazing Adventures, which was going to be a reprint series, except that they were like, no, we need more superheroes. Well, we don't have any more superheroes. Well, make some, you know, kind of thing. And so several second-tier, you know, characters who had never carried their own titles but were popular in other comics got solo shots in Amazing Adventures. And so in this one, it was like, okay, well, the Inhumans are really popular when they show up in Fantastic Four. Uh, You know, Black Widow was popular when she showed up in the Avengers. Let's make a thing out of them. Uh... It's by uh, uh, Friedrich and John Basima uh, do most of this run. Um, or Friedrich, uh, Basima does most of the art. Friedrich writes the first couple of issues. And then 
the next set of stories are all each done by like a different art, a different writer because nobody had really been assigned and nobody really cared that much. Um, issue number four of that run of that of Amazing Adventures is actually scripted by Mimi Gold, who was Marvel's only female writer in the early seventies. So it's the first time a woman writer has ever gotten a shot at working on this, you know, fairly prominent female character. That run lasts eight issues, doesn't sell terribly well, uh, and they change over the format of Amazing Adventures again. Jerry Conway has now started in late 1971, uh, is the new writer over at Daredevil. And he decides that Black Widow is a really cool character, loves the new outfit, loves the whole kind of like sleek, sexy Russian spy thing, and basically makes her Daredevil's girlfriend, starting in issue number 81. She becomes Daredevil's kind of like sidekick partner in the way that the Falcon is Captain America's partner, right? Like she's, you know, she's she's side by side with him. It's obvious which of them is kind of like the bigger name character who gets their name on the top of the title, but it's really, it's a team for about four years. It lasts until about 1974. And during this run, we get a bunch of her backstory for the first time because we've never actually kind of like explored her as a character. Right. And we learn about, uh, you know, some of like the various, you know, Soviet communist characters in the background. It's the first time the Red Room is not is not named. But the idea of it, of like her training center for spies um, is kind of like created at that point. They have they're not calling it the Red Room yet, but it's definitely like, you know, part of her background. The idea that she was a ballerina at some point is established in this run. Um, and for the first time, she gets a last name, <laughs> which she had never had to this point, right? She was just Natasha or Madame Natasha up until this point. And Jerry Conway's like, if she's going to be Daredevil's girlfriend, she, we really should know what her last name is. It's kind of awkward that we, you know, have not done this. Yep. So it's now the, you know, uh, mid seventies, right? It's 73, 74. And now the story gets even weirder. Angela Bowie. David Bowie's wife very much wants to become a TV star or a movie star or something, right? Like she's, she's married to David Bowie. She's fabulously wealthy. She's an attractive woman. She's been a model. She very much wants to be an actress. And she was in competition to be Wonder Woman over, you know, for DC in their series, right? Um, first, she was in competition with Kathy Lee Crosby to do the, to do the first pilot, and then she was, uh, you know, uh, uh, in competition with Linda, basically, to become, you know, to, to, to get the TV series. Right. And failed. She did not, she was, in fact, you know, not chosen for the part. Um, and so she, with a bunch of David Bowie's money, goes to Marvel Comics and says, I want to license Daredevil and Black Widow as characters and make a TV series out of them. And I will play Black Widow. And we will hire a, 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 you know, an actor to be Daredevil, and that will be our TV show. And they pay Marvel comparatively a fair amount of money to license this. They hire Ben Carruthers as the actor uh, to be Daredevil, and she, you know, designs her own outfit as Black Widow and everything. It's fairly, you know, um, accurate to the comics, right? And 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 they write a script. Uh, and they can't get a studio to actually bite on it. It never gets out of development. Um, but during this time, 
there's suddenly a whole bunch of interest in Black Widow as a character. So anyway, all of this interest in Black Widow as a character, everybody at Marvel thinks this show is actually going to happen, right? They're getting very excited about uh, about Black Widow and Daredevil as a as a as a TV series or something. Um, and at around that time, Tony Isabella comes to Marvel uh, with the idea that he wants to do a series. The the X Men have just taken off as a as a new series, the new X Men. Uh, with Wolverine and Colossus and Nightcrawler, etc. That version of the X-Men is now a new, fairly hot-selling series. Um, and so the older X-Men, who are not on that team, are just kind of lying around and nobody is using them. And so Tony Isabella says, I think it would be really cool. I've always liked uh, Angel and Iceman as characters. And I think it would be cool to do just like a road trip story about them right like just two mutants on the road having fun having adventures they're buddies they'll travel out to the west coast maybe they'll get into movies or something right like it will just tell the story of these two fun interesting mutant young guys out on the road i think that would be a really cool series um and marvel's management basically says yes that's a fabulous idea except no you can't do it it's a fabulous idea but you're doing it all wrong and so uh, editors at Marvel start kind of like fighting over this concept of what are we doing now with Angel and Iceman in particular. Uh, and they, you know, several different editors kind of like get involved with their own versions. Len Wein basically kind of like wins this, you know, shoving match between editors and winds up as the editor on this new series called The Champions. And The Champions will star Angel and Iceman plus... Because uh, they're not willing to just go with the concept of the two of them. It needs to be a superhero team. Which means it needs to include a really strong guy. Uh, how about Hercules? Nobody's using him. Let's put him on this team. Needs to have a woman. Can't have a team that's all guys. So let's use Black Widow. She's getting all kind of... She may be on TV soon. We'll put her in this team. And we need to have one character who's already got his own comic. So that we'll have a place to advertise this comic. How about Ghost Rider? He's, he's got a, his own comic. He's not really, you know, he, he's not part of a team or anything for us. Let's put these guys into a team. And Tony Isabella looks at this collection of characters and is just like, what in the hell am I supposed to do with this? What do these five people have in common at all? How can I possibly make a team? You know, this is nothing like the story that I was like, actually pitching. But, uh, in fact, uh, this is what he, he winds up with. The weird one for me is always Ghost Rider because, like, I could see the other ones being like an X Men slash Avengers like crossover, but the the Ghost Rider is really the it just makes no sense at all. Yeah, none of them really do. I mean, I'm not really sure what Hercules has to do with any of these guys either. But so the 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 premise of we're going to go to the West Coast. Okay, we'll make that part of the team. So, okay, that will be the shtick of the team is that all these other superheroes live in New York. These guys will be the heroes of L.A. And we'll do a bunch of L.A.-based stuff. At this point, uh, Daredevil and Black Widow had spent a bunch of time in San Francisco. And so, okay, being on the West Coast made sense, especially now that we're apparently going to break Daredevil and Black Widow up as a couple. Uh, Black Widow is still in California. San Francisco, L.A., sure, that's close or whatever. Uh, you know, Ghost Rider is always just kind of riding his bike everywhere out in the desert or something. So that could, that could be it. And Hercules wants to be in movies. This is now we've got a premise. That's our show, right? It's terrible. 
it's you know some at some point we should really do like just an episode about the champions because it's such a like a you know odd uh, uh, run of of stories, um, and in fact, most of the series is awful, but I will point out that it does in fact create what I consider to be the greatest supervillain of all time, makes his debut in this run, which is Swarm. Uh, because he's made of bees. But he's not just made of bees, he's made of evil bees. But he's not just made of evil bees, he's made of Nazi evil bees. And there has never been a, you know, there, there has never been a greater concept for a villain than a guy who is made of Nazi evil bees. That's just the best. That is pretty great. So anyway, uh, she's you know she's in this series for two years. She's they break her up with Daredevil in order to do this series. The TV show with Angela Bowie never gets bought, never gets produced, and there's no particular use. And so Black Widow just kind of fades into the background. She's not appearing anywhere regularly. Uh, she's not uh, part of any teams or anything. She's not in romance. Frank Miller uses her in his Daredevil run and connects some of her backstory to the hand which he has just created in Daredevil as a, as a villain group. Um, beyond that, she doesn't really appear through the 80s anywhere with any kind of regularity. She gets a couple of limited series. Uh, she returns to the Avengers. Um, for a bit in the Avengers, she's even actually the leader of the team in the 90s. Uh, in 1999... Now we're, you know, this 20 years have gone by since anybody did anything really interesting with her. Um, she becomes part of the Marvel Knights lineup. Once again, if you'll remember from our Marvel issues, our Marvel uh, episodes, um, in which she got two back-to-back -back limited series uh, that were, shall we say, for adults only <laughs> in their, you know, in, in their portrayal of her. Um, but that, those two limited series create a lot of the modern backstory of Natasha. That's where the Red Room gets named. It's where uh, Yelena, who we'll, we'll talk about coming up in a bit for it, the second Black Widow, um, gets, gets introduced and established as a character. And it also um, explains, it, it's the first stories that kind of like acknowledge how old she has to be, right? Because uh, it's the one that kind of like extends her backstory back to the Cold War where her character actually kind of made sense, right? Like, they were like, we're not going to try to update her and say that this is a character who has only been operating for the last few years, because for the last few years, there hasn't even been a Soviet Union, right? The Soviet Union's gone away. Her character concept makes no sense if you try to update her on the floating timeline the way you do everybody else, right? If she's only been around for 10 years, none of her backstory is at all plausible. So we're going to say, you know what? Of all of these characters, she actually really needs to have been around in the 60s to make sense as a character, which means she's much older than you think she is. Well, we've already done this with uh, Nick Fury. We've already explained the whole, uh, you know, the, the, the Infinity Formula and everything uh, for us. We'll just say she did that too. And so now her backstory of her character now goes back suddenly 40, 50 years at, at that point, right? Like we are now established that she's like, at that point, 70 whatever years old and obviously still looks fabulous, right? Once that's been added to her character, she starts, you know, she continues to be in a bunch of like Marvel's big storylines without ever kind of being in a lead. Um, in My the Mighty Avengers run under Bendis, she briefly gets uh, put in charge of S.H.I.E.L.D. entirely. 
Wolverine does uh, the the Wolverine Origins series tells a bunch of backstories of Wolverine uh, from back in the past and establishes even more details of her origins, in which we learn that she is in fact born in 1928, uh, which at that point makes her 80, uh, and was given to the hand to train as a master assassin by Baron Strucker. So now she's tied into the whole Baron Strucker story and all of the early Hydra stuff and all of the hand uh, stories and everything. And it's right around this time when she appears in Iron Man 2 in the movie. Right. right? And they established, like, show, bring her in in Iron Man 2 as a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent with a questionable, mysterious background, which is, you know, like, completely perfect. Um, the Winter Soldier stories in Captain America, the Ed Brubaker stories, kind of like fill in more of her life in the 50s and 60s and establish that she was actually in a romantic relationship with the Winter Soldier during the downtimes that he was not, in fact, actually being, you know, stuck in suspended animation and actually gave her a romance uh, in that period. Um, when he comes back uh, and is operating as the Winter Soldier in the modern day, she gets another romance with him. You know, because uh, Black Widow has been, you know, romantically tied to so many different characters uh, in the Marvel Universe at this point. She's been Daredevil's girlfriend. She's been Hawkeye's girlfriend. She's been Hercules' girlfriend, et cetera, et cetera. Now she's Bucky's girlfriend. Um, and that's kind of pretty much where she sits right now uh, as a character. The version of her that appears in the MCU has clearly completely overwhelmed anything that was happening in the comics. And the version of her that now appears in current comics is very much Scarlett Johansson's version of the character. Obviously, of course, she's still alive in the comics, which, uh, you know, is, is not the case for, the, for, for Scarlett's character. But even though she's dead, she's still getting a movie, so she's working out all right. All right, well, that's, uh, that's her. And yeah, I mean, uh, she's... Recently, they, the, despite her being so uh, present in the uh, Avengers, uh, she hasn't like gotten her own limited series or anything like that um, in the past couple. During of years. this run, yeah, no, she really yeah. hasn't. Which is a little surprising, because um, you know she's had a couple of short runs of what were supposed to be continued series, but not one in the last few years, yeah. and none of those theoretical continued series lasted very long. They they didn't kind of generate enough sales to. Uh, yeah. So, you know, her sister um, is a major part of this upcoming movie. Right. She's going to be played by Florence Pugh, which is, uh, which is tremendous. She's great in everything. Uh, Yelena Romanoff. Uh, so where does she come from, Darren? So like we said, she's uh, to, to Yelena Belova. She's not her biological sister, but she, uh, or in the comics anyway. We'll see how she turns out in the, in the movies. Um, but she is, you know, the second person to use the name Black Widow. Um, and the first time she appears is a cameo appearance in uh, the Inhumans uh, series, Volume 2, Number 5. And that's in January 1999. And she's only in it for a couple of panels. But it was written by Devin Grayson, who was also writing the Black Widow limited series that was coming up. So they kind of like took advantage of the fact that the same writer was in it. She took advantage to kind of like stick this character in for a few panels as like a little preview of what was going to happen in the Black Widow series. Um, and then in that limited series, she is basically uh, kind of like the featured antagonist in the first 
limited series of Black Widow. This is once again it's a Marvel Knights story. It's pretty kinky. Uh there's a lot of uh there's a lot of sex, there's a lot of violence, there's a lot of, you know, like strangeness. The Red Room gets named as a concept and uh basically we meet Yelena as kind of like the most recent graduate from that same Red Room program that has now been operating for 50 whatever years in the Marvel universe. Um Except the difference with Yelena, well, first of all, she the Russians start calling her Black Widow because they're trying to kind of take the name back, right? Like, Black Widow herself has been uh, out of Russia and out of Russia's control for so long that as far as they're concerned, she's, she, she's gone. She's out of their ability to control, and Black Widow is still a really good name. That's what we're going to call our agents, nevertheless. Um, so Yelena is also called Black Widow, um, and Yelena... We learn from from her story that the Red Room is very much about kind of like training assassins and much less now about training spies, right? So if anything, she's a physical match, if not an improvement over Natasha, as a fighter and as a killer and as an assassin, like her gymnastic skills are are possibly even better. Um, But she has no training in the kind of like social skills of being a spy, because the Red Room just doesn't do that anymore, right? That's, you know, she's not trained to seduce anyone. She's not trained for intelligence work or any of the, you know, any of the intelligence analysis kind of things that Natasha can do. Um, she is just a killer, right? Um, so she is kind of like the, the, the bad guy, uh, you know, in the first limited series. And then in the second limited series, we have a very complicated storyline in which basically we eventually learn that she and Natasha have gone through like a face-off movie situation where they have both had uh, cosmetic surgery done on each other so they have each kind of like now look like the other. And uh, Yelena thinks for a while that she's the real Natasha and Natasha is pretending to be Yelena, but it's all part of a big complicated plan to, you know, like catch some bad guys. And basically Yelena uh, was not really kind of like involved in the planning, right? They, they apparently did this to her uh, as part of this process. And so now she's really angry. Uh, even though she eventually gets her own face back, she's really kind of like angry about how she was treated by all this. And she stops working for the Russians the same way that Natasha did. It's kind of something that could like, happen in the movie. Yeah, that would be fun. Like uh, the, the 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 face-off switch, that would be amazing if like we could figure out a way to put that in the movie. But well, and also then they could not have had Scarlett Johansson be the one who died technically. Oh, yeah, that's amusing. Okay, uh, Yelena then appears in uh, Bendis's New Avengers run. Uh, she is working for a rogue shield cell that is like you know up to shenanigans that like official shield does not approve to. Uh, approve of and then she goes to work for aim and aim basically makes a super adaptoid out of her they like you know put her in for some uh you know chemical processes and everything the same way that they built the super adaptoid uh android and give her the super adaptoid powers and then send her out on the mission to go kill spider woman which of course she fails to do 
but we have a whole like set of runs where she now has the ability to like absorb the superpowers of anybody around her. She's completely kind of like given up on making her a Black Widow type character. Uh, Norman Osborn then tries to recruit her into the Thunderbolts, but then uh, is startled to discover that he has in fact accidentally uh, recruited Natasha in disguise all the time, uh, infiltrating his team. And it turns out the entire time that Norman has been thinking that he was working with Yelena, uh, Elena was in fact in stasis back at Avengers headquarters. She was in suspended animation because they don't know how to uh, control her as the adaptoid. Uh, so Osborne finds out about this, uh, breaks into Avengers headquarters and sneaks her out, gets her sprung and reactivated. And she becomes an agent for AIM. She fights Mockingbird. A bunch of other stuff seems to show up. Then she uh, seems to die in the run of Secret Avengers. In 2018, Tales of Suspense, we discover she shows up again. We have no explanation as to why she's alive uh, at first. Um, But then we discover that the Red Room has decided uh, that it's no longer worth going through all of the effort to train new agents. Uh, That's just a lot of time and effort, and sometimes it doesn't work and pay off. And it's a much better idea to clone the good ones that we have. And then just like keep making clones. So in the set of these stories, we discover that there's a bunch of clones of both Natasha and Yelena running around. Uh, so there's a whole bunch of kind of like who, which of us is real shenanigans. Um, it seems at the end of the Tales of Suspense stories that the real Natasha killed the real Yelena during the story at some point. Uh, it's not really clear exactly when that happened. And honestly, if you wanted to bring her back, there are so many clones running around at that point that it would be very easy to say that, whoops, I got the wrong one or something, and she could be alive again. Uh, so there's all kinds of ways that you could bring her back if they decide that they want to. For example, if this movie takes off and everybody discovers how awesome Florence Pugh is uh, and we want to see more of her, um, she may come back in the comics too. But officially, according to the Marvel Universe right now, she is dead. Uh, we'll see if that lasts. Yeah, it's comic book deaths. They only ever last as Right, long. exactly. Uh, Especially the story that had like 14 clones running around in it already. Mm-hmm. Right? It's it's way too easy to say, it's, oh, I thought I had the real one, but in fact I killed the wrong one. Whatever. Yeah. All the clones are the real one. <laughs> um, Alright, well, thank you all for joining us. Uh, we're going to uh, get to all the side characters uh, next episode. Uh, at least all the side characters we know about. Thanks so much. I've been Steve Tasker. And I'm Darren Watts. Have a good night. Thanks for coming.
This week, the comics guys explain The Black Widow, Part 1. <laughs> 